Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to see you all here today. And welcome as well to everyone who is joining us online. It's great to have you with us as well. So today we were planning to start our Easter teaching series, a series that we have entitled Encounters. Basically, we see this series as a way for us all to prepare our hearts and minds for Easter by looking at encounters different people had with Jesus leading up to the crucifixion and in the days after his resurrection. But we've had to take a pause on getting that series going today because Pastor Rob is under the weather with COVID and feeling a bit rough around the edges. And, uh, but I think you can look forward to Rob being up here to get things going hopefully next week. So today instead, we're going to look at Acts chapter 10 verses 19 to 35. It's a scripture passage that focuses on what it means to be called by God. And I think in some ways this is a helpful thing for us individually and as a church family to take a look at right now. Why? Because, and I say this cautiously, it seems as if we are opening back up again. I don't want to get ahead of myself. The fact that Rob is away today reminds us of the, of the fact that we shouldn't. But it does look like we are moving into a new time of the pandemic, a time in which our options for witness and ministry as individual believers and as the church are starting, starting to broaden out some more. Uh, so perhaps it's the right moment for us to take a fresh look at some guiding principles as God calls us to this new time. And we're going to use Acts chapter 10 to help get us there. But first I need to tell you the backstory to these verses. So there was a Roman centurion called, named Cornelius, an officer in the occupying Roman army in first century Palestine. He was based in Caesarea, a city named for a Roman emperor, which served as the capital for Roman rule in that area. And apparently he was a deeply spiritual man whose pagan religious beliefs, we can assume, no longer made much sense to him. His heart was open to discovering who God really is, and he'd begun to practice some aspects of the Jewish faith. One day when he's praying, God speaks to him through an angel, telling him to summon a man named Peter from the town of Joppa, about 50 kilometers away, so that he can learn more about God. So he sends three men to, to fetch Peter, two servants and a Roman soldier. Meanwhile, Peter, who is, of course, one of Jesus' original disciples, is having his own visionary encounter with God. While he's on the roof of a house praying, he has this dramatic experience of seeing a great big sheet lowered from heaven three times, full of, as the scripture says, all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And every time the sheet is lowered, a voice commands Peter to kill and eat. A thought that Peter finds absolutely appalling for reasons I'll explain shortly. Now, while Peter is pondering this troubling vision from God, the messengers from Cornelius arrive, and that's where we're going to pick up the story. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. 
Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. right. So back in 1929, a baby girl named Audrey was born in the village of Knowlesville, a tiny speck of a place lost in the New Brunswick wilderness about 50 kilometers or so as the crow flies northeast of the booming metropolis of Woodstock. In later years, Audrey became a school teacher, eventually making her way to a teaching job in St. John, where she also became involved with the Worldwide Guild for Christian Missions at Main Street Baptist Church, or River Cross, as it's now known. Audrey's experience in the guild sparked something in her heart. She began to prayerfully ponder if God was calling her to be a missionary. There came a day when she reached a sense of certainty about this, and one thing led to another until that day in 1962 when Audrey Manuel arrived in India as a Canadian Baptist missionary where for many years she carried on outstanding work among women in the state of Odisha. Decades later, looking back on her missionary experience, this is what Audrey had to say. When I sailed from New York on the Queen Mary and from Tilbury Docks on the Acadia, headed for Mumbai, or Bombay as it was known then, in the fall of 1962... I assumed that I would spend the rest of my working life in India. Imagine a woman from a quiet New Brunswick village choosing to leave behind family and friends, all that was familiar and comfortable, to go to a land thousands of miles away with a different culture and language and with the full intention of staying all her working life. Now here's another story. Back in 1959, a baby boy named Noel Castellanos was born in southern Texas, just miles from the Mexican border. His parents were Mexican-American migrant farm workers who moved around harvesting crops. His family eventually moved to California looking for a better life. And along the way, Noel lost a good bit of his cultural heritage and forget, forgot much of his family tongue, Spanish. He became a Christian in high school, and studied at Whitworth, a Christian liberal arts college in Washington State, where he also was active in a well-known youth ministry, Young Life. On graduating, 
Young Life leaders invited Noel to receive two years of training as part of a new ministry in the urban core of San Francisco. Noel and his wife, Marianne, were then invited to begin a Young Life chapter for mainly Latino youth in East San Jose. But at an urban ministry conference in Chicago, just by chance or perhaps something else, Noel ended up in La Velita, a Mexican-American neighborhood in the heart of the city. And Noel just had a sense that this is where God wanted him. He and Marianne talked and prayed for a couple months until they were absolutely sure that God was calling them to plant a church in La Velita. So in 1990, they left behind their comfortable California life and moved to Chicago, completely committed to living in La Velita for at least 15 years. Even though they had no jobs to speak of and no church yet, and even though Noel, a Mexican-American, had to face his embarrassment and learn Spanish all over again. They still live in La Valita today, and looking back on this experience, Noel says this, I begin many mornings, mornings with a run through my neighborhood. I cherish this time because I get to see my community come to life. As my feet pound the streets and sidewalks of La Valita, I smile at children heading off to school, wave to merchants on 26th Street, opening their shops, and pray for my neighbors. As I approach the final stretch of my run, my heart fills with love for these people. My wife and I have stayed in La, Vita, La Velita for over 25 years. And through it all, I'm more convinced than ever that God keeps us here as agents of the kingdom in our barrio, our neighborhood. So, what compelled Audrey and Noel and Marianne to leave behind all that's familiar and secure and just generously open themselves to a new experience far beyond their comfort zones? Well, to say it simply, it's all about the call of God. These three people lived each day in a humble awareness that when God comes and taps you on the shoulder, He's inviting you to embrace radical openness to Him, total and complete openness, to go where God sends, to do what God says, to take on the impossible in God's name, and to stick with it until God tells you it's time to leave. That's what radical openness to God looks like. And it's an uncomfortable idea because, well, we live in a society and culture which, which tells us it's up to you and me to chart our own destiny in life. No one tells me what to do, thank you very much. I decide for myself, and then I go ahead and make it happen. We live in a world of self-made men and women who make their own future. But being totally and completely open to God is about obedience to God's future. No strings attached, even if we disagree with God, and even if it takes us places we are uncomfortable to go. Which brings us to the story of Peter and Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. So imagine for a moment that you're Peter and it's noontime on a hot day in Joppa, and you go up on the flat porch roof of the house you're staying in to catch some sea breezes off the Mediterranean as you pray. Except the conditions are hardly ideal for praying because it's lunchtime and you're hungry, verse 10. You're low on energy and it's still hot in spite of the breeze. And the hunger and heat lull you into a sleepy, trance-like state. And the next thing you know, you're having this vivid dream, though it feels more like a nightmare. 
You see, Peter was raised in the centuries-old cultural traditions of the Jewish faith. He lived by the holiness code mapped out in Leviticus in the Old Testament. So, like his fellow Jews, Peter tried to live a blameless life apart from the world around him because that's what holiness means, to be set apart. He followed all sorts of rules and instructions for godly living, covering every aspect of his living and working day. And these were supposed to keep him spiritually clean by avoiding contact with a sinfully dirty world. There were hundreds, literally hundreds, of do's and don'ts for clean living, even covering what he ate. In fact, Leviticus chapter 11 goes into mind-numbing detail about animals and sea creatures and birds, even insects and reptiles, identifying those that were spiritually clean, fit for food, and those that were dirty to be avoided. So imagine that you're Peter, and you have this nightmare vision three times, verses 11 to 16, of a sheet lowered with all kinds of living creatures in it, some clean, some dirty, all mixed together. For Peter, this was a cross-contamination crisis of unholy proportions. He can't wrap his head around what's going on here. Why this unholy mix of clean and dirty creatures? And even as he's trying to sort it all out, God speaks, verse 14, kill and eat. God is telling Peter to eat all of it, not to pick and choose. Well, I think we can all appreciate how traumatic this was for Peter. He had a certain idea of what it meant to lead a holy life, even when it came to what's for dinner. So no surprise at all in his response. He's scandalized and pushes back at God. Verse 14, certainly not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. To which God replies, verse 15, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Well, by now, Peter obviously has some idea that more is going on here than simply what's for dinner. Verse 17, Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision. And even as he's wondering, all is revealed. The messengers from Cornelius arrive, God speaks again, telling him to go meet them and commanding him, verse 20, do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. You know, Acts chapters 10 and 11 is a, is a scripture passage that my dad actually preached on many times, back when I was much younger and more impressionable. And, and a story he used to tell to get at the truth of what's going on here goes like this. It's a true story that goes back to the 1960s when my parents were missionaries in India in this estate, just like Audrey Manuel, who in fact is a good friend of my mother Shirley, who by the way is watching today. Hi, Mom. So... Dad was overseeing restoration work on an old building near our family home, or bungalow as we called it. My parents were turning this building into a student residence where young men from nearby hill villages could live as they went to high school and college in the town we lived in. And Dad had hired some local men from a village on the other side of the wall from our family bungalow to work on this building. At the end of every day, the men lined up at Dad's office to be paid their day's wages. One day, Dad noticed one of the ox cart drivers. By the way, ox carts were the half-ton trucks of village India back then, able to haul pretty much anything. Anyways, Dad noticed one of the ox cart drivers doing something with his thumb on a piece of paper while he was waiting to be paid. So he asked to have a look, and he was amazed by what he saw. 
The man was using his thumbnail to sketch or actually to emboss, to create a raised image of a beautiful lotus flower. It was a work of art. And in that moment, dad caught a fuller vision of who this man was. He was actually, first and foremost, an artist who just happened to be an ox cart driver to pay the bills. And dad caught a glimpse of this because he was open to receiving a fresh perspective on this man. So back to Peter. The messengers from Cornelius arrive and God tells Peter to go meet them. Well, by now Peter knew something was up. He's already been pushed by God through a series of visions to gain a fresh perspective on what's for dinner. That alone was almost too much to swallow, pun intended. And even as he's trying to figure out what's really going on here, some people arrive and and God gives Peter an ominous sounding command. Do not hesitate to go with them. So Peter goes to meet the messengers at the outside gate to the house. And what are the first words out of their mouths? Verse 22, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. Remember that holiness code I talked about earlier? Well, it also had things to say about people. Those do's and don'ts for keeping spiritually clean were also used to make clean and dirty distinctions between people depending on where you were born, how you behaved, whether male or female, rich or poor, healthy or sick. And in, and in case you're confused about who is who here, well, let's just say that if you were a fiddle-as-a-fiddle man born into money in Jerusalem who went to the temple every Friday, well, you're pretty much the next best thing to God. So Jewish society in the Palestine of Peter's day was deeply divided in a not-so-good way between clean and dirty people, and the two did not mix. Remember what Peter said to God about those living creatures, uh, those living creatures in those visions? He said, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Well, Peter could just as easily have said the same thing about people. I have never associated with anyone impure or unclean. And by the way, if you were a Gentile from outside the Jewish faith, you were beyond being sinfully dirty. You didn't have one shred of holiness in you at all. So along come messengers from Cornelius, a Gentile, and not just any Gentile, but a centurion, an officer in the much-hated Roman army occupying Palestine, the army that made sure everyone paid their taxes and behaved and used brute force if necessary to keep people in line. Well, you know, given the reality of the situation, the shock must have been written all over Peter's face because the next words in verses 22 and 23 seem to come tumbling out as the messengers quickly explain why they're there before Peter shuts the gate in their face. Cornelius is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. You can almost hear them pleading, please, please hear us out. And then the moment of truth arrives. Verse 23, let's read it out loud together. It's on the screen. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Imagine a Jewish man inviting Gentile representatives of a much-feared Gentile Roman army officer into the house to enjoy hospitality together. The impossible has happened. In Acts chapter 10, verse 15, at the close of Peter's visions, God said to him, 
Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now Peter understands. Yes, it was tough going to get there with just a bit of disagreement between he and God. And, but Peter finally broke through to a fuller vision, a fresh perspective on who is welcome to hear and receive God's great salvation story. And Peter puts the exclamation point on this when he actually finally meets Cornelius. Verse 28. Let's read this out loud together too. Again, it's on the screen. You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Folks, God's call is about living in such complete and total openness to God that when he taps you on the shoulder, you turn and embrace him, then go do the impossible with a stick with it that's made possible by obedience to him. Peter had learned to live like that, even if sometimes he put up a bit of a fuss. And now, in spite of his misgivings, he embraces the opportunity God sends his way, stepping out in faith into a changed reality with a fresh perspective. He goes and discovers that Cornelius isn't sinfully dirty at all, that God has been working in his life all along. Verses 34 and 35. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Look, there's something in all this that I think we need to grasp and hold on to today because this is where Peter's story meets up with ours. You know, the truth is, Peter's new adventure is just the next step in his ongoing journey of living as a called person. Peter's call actually began when Jesus showed up one day at the Sea of Galilee and invited two fishermen, Peter and his brother Andrew, to come follow me. And Peter's calling continued as he learned from Jesus, as he saw and heard Jesus declare over and over again through words and actions that one shouldn't call anything impure that God has made clean. As he observed Jesus get up close and personal with impure and unclean sick people, healing the broken, the lame, the blind, and listen to Jesus challenge the Pharisees about all their do's and don'ts for clean living, and witness Jesus respond to the faith of another Roman centurion, begging to have his servant healed, and tagged along as Jesus spent time in the company of a whole host of sinful people, tax collectors, Samaritans, and my goodness, even women. Through it all, Peter learned to live as a called person, attentive to God, so that when God tapped him on the shoulder and told him to chat with Cornelius, well, after a little bit of back and forth, he was ready for this new adventure of faith. And just in case you think that this is still about people who lived more than 2,000 years ago and had the privilege of seeing Jesus face to face, know this. Audrey Manuel was ready to hear God's call to India because she'd been living as a called person, attentive to God and doing God's work, even when she was a school teacher in St. John. And Noel Castellanos was living as a called person just as much when he was a student in college as when he and Marianne moved to Lavalita to plant a church. Folks, every single one of us here today, 
no matter where we are or what we do, is a called person as we live out our faith in Jesus Christ. You and you and you are each a called person. And so am I, right where we are. And, might I add, right now, in this moment, as new opportunities start to present them, themselves to us individually and as a church, as we begin to slowly and carefully emerge from this pandemic. The question is, will our attitude and actions match up to our sense of calling? So my challenge to each of us here today is this. Wherever God has placed you, whether you're a student, a stay-at-home mom, or retired, whether you work or you don't, whether you, wherever you live, whomever you have contact with every day, wherever God has placed you for now, Look around in the power of God's vision. Find those people on the margins of your world, especially the ones you work to avoid, the ones that take you outside your comfort zone, maybe even the ones you've branded without realizing it impure and unclean. And let's be real. COVID has been mighty challenging around all this. But find those people on the margins of your world then go share with them the great news of a God who doesn't play favorites. A God who instead generously accepts the one who fears him and does what is right. Go, live as a called person and change the world. And what about our church, this family of faith right here at Rivercross? You know, I can't help but marvel at the fact that we who are gathered here today and online are the spiritual descendants of Peter's obedience to a vision. Do you realize that? Because Peter was wide open to God's future, the great news of Jesus went out from the Jewish faith to the Gentiles. But more than that, the Christian faith pivoted into a whole new way of seeing the world. And from this day forward, Jesus' followers began to lay the foundations of a faith that at its best, always always extends God's great news welcome to everyone, everyone, no exceptions. You know, that might be something important for us to keep in mind as we start to slowly and carefully navigate witness and ministry in our church in a time when masks and physical distancing measures are lifting. And as we start rubbing shoulders again with more and more people in the months ahead. I'm not saying it's all going to be easy. My goodness, look at how Peter struggled with all this. But let's remember the lesson that Peter had to learn, that God's grace extends to everyone, no exceptions. A lesson that took him outside his comfort zone and led him to rub shoulders with a man he considered impure and unclean. You know, in Acts chapter 11, after Peter spends time with Cornelius, he returns to the Jerusalem church and reports on this event to fellow Jews who, like him, are followers of Jesus. Remember, these are people who have known one generation's old way to live, the holiness code. So Peter tells them what has happened, and their response, chapter 11, verse 18. And when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God. Astounding. When God taps these fellow Jews on the shoulder, their resistance just melts away 
and they choose instead to embrace God's call to something new, leaving behind centuries, centuries of tradition. Think about that. And the Christian faith, as we see throughout the book of Acts, begins to move outward from Palestine into the world, welcoming all people as it continues to grow. And now here we are, more than 2,000 years later, gathered at River Cross as a family of faith that comes from all over the world, and in which the poor, the broken, the ignored of our city are welcomed as brothers and sisters in Jesus, and in which people, no matter which side of the COVID debate they're on, still share a common faith. God doesn't play favorites, but accepts the one who fears him and does what is right. Let's allow those words from Peter to guide us in the months ahead. Let's always be that kind of church. When God taps us on the shoulder and invites us to embrace his future, to whomever that might lead us next, even to people we are hesitant to go see, let's always respond with no further objections and praising God. Let's leave here today as a called church, hearts wide open to God and ready to change the world. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we are just so grateful that you're the kind of God who doesn't play favorites, but welcomes anyone who comes looking for you with a wide open heart. Because Lord, we know that means that each of us here, in spite of our own sins and shortcomings, are more than welcome to receive grace through your Son, Jesus Christ. We're grateful for this, and it's in this spirit of gratitude that we each now commit ourselves to going out into the world as called persons, radically open to bringing the hope of your future to other people. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.